Johnson, and this episode is entitled A Spirit of Fear. So I wanted to just kind of go into that, um, kind of addressing some of the things that I've been seeing within the last month. So a couple of things. So one, I have been seeing an increase in COVID cases, like the number of all of a sudden we have those swings. A lot of times will happen at different times of the year with a different variants and all of a sudden just like with other viruses we will see an upswing and then we'll in cases and then it'll kind of go away for you know whatever reason maybe it's people gathering together more you know starting school I'm not real sure but so we were seeing an uptick in those cases and we were because we do treatment at our facilities and then but a couple of weeks ago I noticed all of a sudden like we started having a lot more requests for ivermectin and so I mean we've been doing that so luckily in the state of Tennessee that we have a law in place that allows for a pharmacist under a collaborative care agreement with a physician to dispense ivermectin without a prescription now that doesn't mean you can just go in and buy it off the shelves like Benadryl it still requires that it be the pharmacist has to dispense it so not every pharmacy and not every pharmacist will dispense ivermectin but it is they are technically required by law to tell you where you can find a pharmacy or a pharmacist to dispense it similar to like birth control but most of the pharmacies and and pharmacists are not following that part of the law but but it is available it is lawful um this this happened uh, a couple years ago um, and so it is a great advantage to the citizens of tennessee and um i wish that it had happened earlier um a lot of people would have probably helped buy it but it is it is in place now and so again so we started seeing people coming in filling out the form getting them getting the medication i'm just like what has happened what has occurred something has occurred something's been said something's happened that all of a sudden we just see these people clamoring you know to come in and get this medication to have on hand and, you know, of course, we counsel and things like that. I didn't specifically ask them what the cause was, but I just kind of decided to go research on my own. And so I was, you know, looking around, looking at different websites, trying to find out. And I guess there was a a show, there was a representative on there that was talking about n- things that were coming through with the government, the administration, potentially, that we're going to start seeing mass mandates in the fall, that there was all of a sudden going to be, you know, potential for some types of control that hospitals and were increasing their purchase of PPE, which is protective personal equipment. All of a sudden there were some universities were, that had mask mandates in place and that they were, you know, now requiring these in some facilities. And, and so I think people all of a sudden were starting to panic. All of a sudden they were going, it, it was inducing a little bit of a, a fear. And that's kind of what I wanted to address is that prior, so previously in the original in 2020, I think that we were caught unawares. A lot of people were, and so there was a lot unknown about this particular disease, about SARS-CoV-2. We didn't know what to expect. And so sometimes we were allowing outside forces to kind of control our movement. Because of the unknown, there was, there is a fear attached in the unknown. And the thing is, is that we have more information now. And so therefore, we should be better prepared. But even regardless of a situation, if they introduce something new that we don't know anything about, it's still, we need to not have a spirit of fear. 
In fact, in the Bible, in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So it is up to us to find out information. And fear starts in the mind. It's experienced in the mind. But it does have physical effects on the body. So fear can generate a fight-or-flight response, which basically it causes these you know, an autonomic response, something that you cannot control. Like once the fear, once the mind, you know, is experiencing these thoughts, then it can cause a physical effect on the body through a response that is hard to control. Your body is gearing up to either fight, to stand and fight, to put up to protect itself, or run away, to flee, or sometimes freeze, hide. And people will experience this to different degrees. If, you know, normally, like if it happens briefly, then it can be a good thing. I mean, it's a protection method. But when it's happening chronically, as I mentioned before, and and in some people, because of their genetic makeup, it can cause a lot of negative effects on the body because some people can't recover. They don't process. They don't break down these neurotransmitters. So it then stimulates and, and causes anxiety that will persist. So... You know, fear is to be avoided, a spirit of fear. Again, temporary fear, like the response, it is a protection method of what happens. But when it continues or it completely invades our mind, when that's all we can focus on, it is not a good thing. And the antidote to fear, so when we're approached, given something that potentially makes us fearful, the antidote to fear is faith. Not faith in ourselves, but faith in the unseen, faith in God, faith in something bigger than we are, which allows us to not be fearful. And I think that's really important. And I think that's what we need to embrace, you know, during the upcoming unknown seasons that may approach, because we don't know what's coming down the pipeline. And rather than be fearful about it or just worrying constantly, let's be prepared. And I think that's where the sound mind comes in, that we need to be prepared. And I think some of these individuals, based on the conversations that I've been having with them, is what they're doing, is that they're wanting to prepare because they were caught unaware the last time, or because they saw what happened, that there was the abuse of power that that came about, and they wanted to be prepared. And so one of the things, of course, that they're doing is purchasing ivermectin. Now... Ivermectin was, as I've mentioned before, was one of those drugs that was vilified, that it still to this day will have people like you can bring it up in a conversation and people will scoff and they'll turn their nose and say, that's a, that's a horse drug. That's, you know, the FDA did a really good job, even though they tried to deny that they did it, but they did a really good job in promoting this as if it had no benefit for human use, that it was only available for veterinary use. And that was not the case at all. In fact, Lots of medications can be used in both humans and animals all the time. I compound, I I run a compounding pharmacy. We compound human prescriptions and we compound veterinary prescriptions. And we, the drugs that we use in veterinary products or veterinary, you know, compounded prescriptions are sometimes human ones. And sometimes we have drugs that we use in both that, you know, both animals and humans. There are blood pressure medicines like benazapril, enalapril, steroids like prednisone and prednisolone. 
There's also ursodiol, which is used for gallstones in humans, but is also used in animals for biliary, biliary sludge. We see ivermectin. Yes, it is used in animal for a particular purpose, but it also has an improved use in humans. So it's not just an animal drug. And in fact, what we compound is ivermectin USP, United States Pharmacopeia. It is a human product. It was this drug is an, it has an is an FDA approved product. The thing is, is that it's not FDA approved for COVID. And now the FDA lawyer in this lawsuit, where recently came out and said that they, you know, this was the lawyer for the FDA said that they did not ban doctors from prescribing ivermectin for COVID, for use in COVID. Now they went on to say that it is not approved. Again, it is not an approved use for the treatment of SARS-CoV or COVID. But there's lots of things that we use off-label, things that are non-approved. The FDA, it's an approval process, but just because it's not FDA approved for something doesn't mean that it's not safe or that it's not effective. Compounded medications are not FDA approved. And I see this sometimes the, you know, things that are put out there, anytime that there's a problem with a particular drug and or that there were compounding like compounding pharmacists have come up with a solution or maybe potentially um, come up with a product and it's like, oh this is not an FDA approved approved product so therefore it's not safe or effective no that's not the case it doesn't mean that it's not been proven it's not with the, you know went through these different studies or these different trials but that doesn't mean that it's not safe and effective I mean for many many years I mean for you know people have been using things from that they observed to be effective. Observational studies, things that people have used. And even the FDA approved products, things that have been went through rigorous trials or went through multiple studies that sometimes come to the market and they find that there's side effects that they didn't expect. So they thought, you know, so they were thought they were safe and effective and then they were withdrawn or that there were potential complications or they caused these adverse events. And so therefore they had to have black box warnings. We have lots of drugs on the market that that's the case with. And not every medication, FDA approved or not, is 100% effective. We have some therapies that work in some individuals and some therapies that work in other individuals. Again, we have differences in our genetic makeup, as I mentioned before, that could be contributing to this. It could be our own weight. I mean, should a 90 pound person experience the same effects from the same dose of a medication that a 300 pound person does? Probably not. Maybe there's disease states that influence it. So again, not everything is, is the same or the people don't necessarily have the the same response with with a particular medication and that's the same thing whether it is a supplement whether it's a medication so one of the things that you know another thing that ivermectin besides the you know potential where some people just could not get past the fact that it was there was a veterinary product for ivermectin is that that we saw multiple studies that oh well doctors like you would say look what's been shown not to be effective you know, and randomly, you know, in these random, you know, controlled trials. Well, that's not true. There have been some trials that have said that it was not not shown to be effective or there was not, a, you know, an appreciable difference. Now, there were problems with some of these trials, but there's also trials that showed that it was effective. 
more so than the ones that showed that there was a negative fit. But people want to take and hold of the ones that are the ones that, you know, support their viewpoint or they want to, you know, hang on to these particular ones. And a lot of times, like, you have to understand that ivermectin is a part. It's a part of the regimen. It's not the only thing that's needed to do treatment. And so while it is a big part of it, it's not the only thing. There's other things that you need to consider. Your vitamin D. Vitamin D levels, I do not know why people, why those were not promoted. Just as a general health measure for multiple conditions, having adequate vitamin D levels has been shown to be beneficial for preventing hip fractures, you know, muscle atrophy, bone loss, you know, your immune system mediated responses, again, for your immune health. And so one of the things that we should have been promoting all along was adequate vitamin D levels, not ones that are within the range, because our range is set so low that we know that there's been studies that have shown that people even within the range on the lower levels of an acceptable range, we're still having more severe disease. So there's an optimized level that we should shoot for of vitamin D. And so again, that's part of the, you know, part of the regimen. Zinc, again, used early on quercetin, which helps zinc, it's a zinc onophore. It's also a mast cell stabilizer. So we know that there, this overactive immune system that can cause this release of histamine and different, you know, different factors, different substances, these cytokines that can cause inflammation. And so you know, quercetin or quercetin, however you want to pronounce it, that is acts as a zinc ionophore to get zinc into the cell to act as an antiviral. And then it has some anti-inflammatory or, you know, or cytokine blocking properties on its own. Vitamin C, which again helps with glutathione recircul- uh, recirculation. So it also helps with the immune system. So it, there are multiple things that can be beneficial besides just ivermectin. But it is a stool, it is a tool and the thing is is that it has been shown to be effective it has been shown to help there's was just a study published in August 23 in curious and this was a study and basically what it did is this was it took information so it's going back and collecting data so it's basically looking at data that was presented that was collected during 2020 And so what it specifically looked at was that there were the excess deaths in Peru, 25 states there. So they have states in Peru. So in 2020, there was a period of time in which they were utilizing ivermectin in these states for the treatment of SARS-CoV. So there was four months. They have data of four months of using it before a new president was elected. And then all of a sudden it became restricted again. So in this report so in this study so going back again having these people looking at the data and it's it's there so it's not you know it's things that were reported what they found in this study was that there was during the time that they were allowed to use ivermectin there was a 14-fold reduction in deaths 14-fold when the restrictions became came into place again when the when the new president came into play in the two months Following those new restrictions, there was a 13-fold increase in death. So we saw that when they were allowed to use it, there was a decrease. And then when they were restricted from using it again, there was an increase in death. And so that was just published recently. It was The information was av- available as a preprint before, but it just now got published. So there was another study, again, 
you know, to me, having been practiced for many, many years, you know, also using, seeing like herbal supplements or vitamin supplements, like functional medicine, there, there's not as many studies out there. There's not these golden randomized clinical trials, controlled trials that are out there, but there are things that look at the mechanism of action of a particular drug, of a particular molecule. And so, you know, the human body is, you know, a very complicated machine. Like we have processes that occur every single day. Sometimes those processes get messed up. Sometimes that we have outside things that we add either through toxins or um, medications or different things like our food. There's different things that we can do that obviously can mess up the systems, but it's a, it's a system nonetheless. And so it functions we on a normal basis. And so therefore we can study, you know, these particular things. We know that, okay, this exists and this exists and that if we, you know, that we manufacture this particular chemical from something else. And so sometimes looking at the mechanism of action. So in other words, seeing what receptors it works on, what does it, what systems, what receptors does it affect in the body allows us to then kind of hypothesize what or how something could potentially work. There are, so there's lots of tests because these scientists that will go in and they look at a particular molecule in a lab and it's called, so that's called in vitro. And so we have these in vitro so they can figure out the mechanism of action. And that's kind of what they looked at initially with ivermectin. So before it got recommended, so they were seeing this in vitro in test tube effects as an antiviral. And that's what then prompted doctors to want to start using the product is based on these results, basically, hey, this is what we're seeing. And then, you know, looking at the drug and we want to potentially use it. Now, we know that some things that can be seen in vitro, and that's what some people are claiming. It's like, oh, well, it's in vitro, but in vivo, which means in life, in a human being, in an organism, is that it may have a different effect. And so they contend that, oh, this was, you know, and that the amounts that you'd have to use in humans would be too great, so therefore it's not going to be effective. But we've, I've seen multiple reports. I've seen the medication in action in multiple individuals, and so I've seen effect, and so have people across the board. That's why, the, that's why physicians, that's why people have it, are coming to get it on hand because they've seen the effects that they've personally experienced and the difference or seen how it's worked in particular individuals. So observational, like to me, observation, like seeing something in my, you know, working, seeing something that is effect. Now you could say, well, there's multiple different things like why something, it could be related to something. And that's true. Maybe it could be, there may, there might be other factors at the same time. If you consistently see something happening over and over again, then you tend to want to believe that this is related to that. So, so there was an observational study and this was published last year. And again, this was occurring is the observational study was taken based on data based collected in 2020. And this was on about 88,000 people in Brazil. So it was pretty strictly controlled access to ivermectin. So these people were, they collected the data. So it wasn't just random that they knew the information about these patients. And they were, so they were given the opportunity to either take ivermectin as a preventative or not. And the ivermectin dose that they were taking preventatively wasn't even that much. I think it was, it was two days a month. So basically, so for two days each month, they would take 
the ivermectin. And some people were taking it, like sometimes they wouldn't show up to the clinic to get it, so but sometimes they did. So again, there was that, so that wasn't, I guess they were considered non-regular use. And then there was regular use, the ones that were actually showing up and getting it. But again, this wasn't a very huge dose. And then those that didn't use it at all. And so what they found in this observational study was that the non-use of ivermectin was associated with a 12.5-fold increase in mortality and a seven-fold increased risk of dying for those that were not using ivermectin in some way. And again, this was very low dose, very, you know, what we recommend now is typically twice a week for prevention. So this was just two days per month. But what they also found was that those who accumulate, there was a cumulative effect. So if they had started it and they had continued to use it, even if they missed some time, but once they reached, once they reached a certain dose, then they tended to have the benefits. Maybe that's because it helps strengthen the immune system. We know that there's new, that ivermectin has anti-inflammatory properties. It's not just an antiviral. It's immunomodulary. There's some information out there. There's studies on there, and it's use in cancer. So there's multiple ways in which this potentially could be beneficial. The immune system, if it's, we know that if it's underperforming or if it's overperforming is a problem. We want it functioning correctly, and we want to give it the nutrients that it needs, the, you know, the environment that it needs to function properly. One of the things that can affect your immune system is, again, fear, like, because of the physical effects of fear that that potentially can cause increased cortisol levels, which then can suppress your immune system. So you can, by allowing fear to control you, you can put yourself more at risk for certain diseases because you're suppressing your immune system. So I just wanted to have this episode because where I'm seeing this uptick in these ivermectin prescriptions, I'm seeing this information that's going out there. So some people are, you know, potentially going to be a little bit fearful. I guess the other day I actually had, you know, the first first instance in a while. Uh, one of the things that we do or I do at the pharmacy is I counsel. I counsel on prescriptions. It's very important and both for humans and then also for animals. And so and there's probably you know, there's a countertop in which we're separated. So I'm not right in somebody's face, but I am talking to them because I believe that I should be looking at somebody and talking to them when I'm, when I'm counseling. And so I don't know if a, something happened. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm not, wasn't sick, I'm not coughing, anything like that. But in the process of talking, maybe it went to, on too long. Maybe I got too close, but all of a sudden the person was like kind of backing away and just, kind of look in their face like mm, I'm a little you know I'm a little nervous right now and all of a sudden then the mask comes out and they're putting on it, which you know they've been in the store for whatever amount of time now and then they're of course they're asking about the new you know RSV vaccine and it's and I'm just I'm just seeing this happen like right before my eyes it's just the spirit of fear come over this person and I just hope as a nation I hope is that we don't embrace a spirit of fear again. Instead, we cling to the antidote to fear, which is faith in the unseen, in a God that knows what's going to happen regardless of what, if we do or not. But we don't need to have a spirit of fear. 
We do need to have a sound mind. We do need to be educated and informed. And a lot of times, like what really bothered me the most in the previous pandemic is that I saw so many people that could have benefited from treatment, but were, but because it was so, there was such a negative association that they weren't allowed to, and that people died because of that. And that's wrong. That it should never have, you know, doctors should have been those who wanted to treat you. We didn't, again, people have choice and people should have choice whether or not they choose to pursue something or not. And that's the thing that choice was taken away for a lot of people. Some people who wanted it, some people who just weren't aware of it, but the choice was taken away for a lot of people. And that is wrong. And I hope that we don't see that happen. I hope enough people stand up that they don't have a spirit of fear that to not allow that to occur, you know, when the next unknown scary thing, you know, occurs because it's going to come again. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a given, but we have to hopefully handle it better this time. So if you have any questions, if you want to know information about the protocols that we use at the pharmacy, you can email me at faithfieldpharmacist at gmail.com. You can email me at any time if you have any questions whatsoever about any particular therapies or whether it's herbals, supplements, or medicines. And I just hope that you remember not to have a spirit of fear. But again, cling to faith as the antidote of fear. Have a good day. Talk to you, you next gotta time. Believe when you can't see a thing.